Hello, everyone. I'm Abhijat Saraswath, and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers, and innovators. The future is, of course, a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter, and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. Today, I am so excited to have Andrea Viscolzi on the show. Andrea is a visionary leader with passion for combining digitalization with human potential. She has 20 plus years of experience in the legal business, both as a transactional lawyer, as well as a leader for various business areas, such as marketing, business development, innovation, and legal tech. We have a fantastic conversation today where we dive into why every legal professional needs to know about digital transformation. What does innovation mean to Andrea? How to actually create a culture supportive of innovation and transformation? We dive into the impact of COVID-19 on innovation strategy for firms and how it will lead to the great unmasking of what Andrea calls the innovation theatre. And towards the end, we actually talk a little bit about practical examples of where Andrea used gamification to drive technology adoption uh, in her previous firm. We also connect the pieces of the legal supply chain. So what is the connection between strategy, innovation, technology, and business development? This was such a great and fun conversation to have and has been quite thoroughly requested. So I am really excited to present to you Andrea Miskolzi. I am delighted to have Andrea with me here today. Andrea's had quite a story and we'll dig into many points of uh, points of inflection for her story today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, and, and then we'll continue into how you got to where you are today, your story. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I, I would summarize myself as a legal business professional. Basically, three things that you should, should know about me. I've spent the last 20 years at law firms. So yes, from one point of view, I don't have a, a variety of industries. On the other hand, I, I have seen a lot about the legal business and, and law firms, and I like it. I like this sector. The second is that within this, this legal uh, business experience, I have both business administration experience, various roles uh, with Wolf Ties, Central Eastern European firm, uh, strategy, innovation, business development, marketing, and training. And before that, uh, a practicing lawyer with uh, link letters, uh, mainly in, in Hungary did corporate finance transactions. Last but not least, something that I kindly share about myself is that I used to be a professional tennis player before becoming a lawyer. So I never give up and uh, win my matches point by point. Fantastic. I love it. And I think we'll probably get into it in a little bit around the importance of 
combining both the legal and the business side and actually the yeah. the, the 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 move to the business of law and uh, certainly something mm-hmm. i've been seeing a lot more you mentioned that you would describe yourself as someone who's focused on innovation and strategy and digital transformation so if you don't mind let's break each of those three key categories down And we'll come to innovation last because that's probably Mm -hmm. where we'll have the most to say. From your perspective, how do you see within the realm of legal to keep a bit more focused? What do you see as digital transformation? What does that mean to you? And then what does strategy mean to you within the same context? You know, I would reflect on this word from a very broad perspective because for the business of law, of course, it means uh, changing the processes and adoption of technology. Uh, at law firms, but from an even broader perspective, digital transformation should be a word for every single lawyer. If I think about working in the legal business and I'm thinking about uh, digital transformation, yes, it, it relates to the legal business service provider, let's say the law firm, but in a broad perspective, it is the most important trend that every single lawyer should, to some extent, follow, understand, uh, be able to reflect on it, because it, it affects every single client these, day, these days. Do you think there's a, at least an increasing trend? I, I know certainly not everyone is there yet, and there's work to be done. Uh, but do you think that's something that is getting more traction in the market, where there is a deliberate effort to try and improve that skill and you know are, are clients asking for it is, is there something that basically the market is asking for because like most businesses there are nice to do things which will probably add value and there's necessities that you have to do because you have to react to the market you know technology from that point of view is an enabler so uh, i know that we see in many many pitch requests and, and panel requests so do you use technology and do you do innovation but at the end of the day what what counts is a client experience yeah. and what counts internally or or in the sort of back office perspective the efficiency and I would say, of course, every single client is interested in their law firms or legal services provider, providers using technology, even if they don't express it, because they are interested in getting more professional, leaner services, a faster delivery, and of course, a cheaper or most, most cost efficient. Yeah, I've spoken about this in the past. Uh, there is this bleed from the consumer world into the, the more sort of corporate professional world, the B2B world. And that means that technology is essentially something that is a given for most people. It's table stakes. It's, it's important also for practitioners, whether you're a legal practitioner or otherwise, to also just create this window into their world of how this work is done. There's, I think there's... Mm-hmm. Too, for too long, there's been this sort of air of mysteries. Okay, give us instructions. We'll feed it into this black box that we call a law firm and out comes a product that we'll just deliver to you without too much work into the process, without any input from the client in whether each step is the right step for them. And that's beginning to change. And there are certainly firms that are quite proactive in allowing clients to do that and they are creating those longer-term relationships. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I've heard once uh, someone saying that the, the starting point for the change was actually in the 90s. I think it was Hewlett Packard who hired the first GC um, from a law firm. So a partner of a law firm, one of the top law firms became uh, a GC. And before that, that was not common. Now, if you have a GC or an in-house team where the majority of people come from big law or other law firms, they know exactly uh, what you do. Yeah, yeah. They know exactly how you work. And and you mentioned this black box being opened up in, in legal. This is actually what happened in consulting as well. So similarly, a black box effect over uh, the strategy officer at a, a blue chip company is probably a former McKinsey or Boston Consulting yeah. or you name it. Yeah. Uh, employee or partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And it, it kind of levels the playing field right, from both sides because, you know, when you're in that position, you know exactly, and of course things change, but you know at least the questions to ask of your lawyers uh, when you're a GC in that position and vice versa. Let, let's pivot to the other side of things, the innovation side of things. And this, of course, um, will be a familiar word to all because it's something that everyone talks about. So what does that mean to you? And I'm conscious that obviously innovation is something that can be, it certainly is an overused word in in a lot of ways. Yeah. So expand on that a little bit more, uh, how you think about innovation. Yeah. So basically innovation is an overused word. I think the problem is that it's not uh, um, only overused, but it's misused. First of all, many people uh, mix up innovation with, with change, or they mix up innovation with creativity. And, and creativity is certainly necessary for innovation, but it's not enough. It's not yeah. the same. And also in legal, especially, many innovation projects include changing behaviors, adopting new working methods, adopting technology, but change is not equal to innovation. So one of the reasons I think why it has been misused and maybe it's, it's still uh, not used correctly these days is that innovation itself is a very new profession in legal, definitely, but outside legal, it's, it's also something new. So when I'm thinking about innovation, I understand, I understand it as Peter Drucker or Clay Christensen or nowadays Alex Osterwalder or Rita McGrath use it. And basically, for example, Peter Drucker said innovation and entrepreneurship is a key success factor for every single company, every single business, also right. for the legal. It's important that it creates value. It has an economic positive impact. Many people think innovation is a fancy uh, thing in Silicon Valley. You need uh, maybe a few uh, pool tables and bean bags to be innovative. And in reality, innovation is hard work and it's a very structured process and, and very focused process. You, you know these words, uh, fail fast. So you, you monitor a process and stop it. You have to create value. You have to have an innovation strategy that is aligned to, to the overall business strategy. So it is, it is a science. And it is something which is a serious and, and, and a very impactful part of, of business management. One of the points that resonated really well with me was one of the last things that you said about you, know, you don't need the sort of fancy beanbags and all these other things for it to be innovative. And what happens quite frequently, um, and it's not just to do with innovation, but with everything, people will, of course, 
you know, put the absolute best thing forward. And so you romanticize the concept of innovation without seeing all of the work that's happening behind the scene. You're kind of seeing the tip of the iceberg, uh, which is this sort of shiny thing that's produced at the end, whether you look in Silicon Valley or in a law firm or elsewhere. But there, there are usually people that have thought about both the theory of it, but also how this applies, how it helps to create value, how there is economic impact for the business. But you don't see a lot of that. You don't see all of the hard work. You don't see hours and hours and hours of deliberate work and practice to get to that point. You just see, oh, this person has just become really successful in trying this shiny new thing. Because when you approach it from that perspective, you're not really thinking about what do I want to achieve? What problem do I want to solve for myself or for my clients or for the business? And when you can't answer those simple questions, though they are difficult to answer, then regardless of the the product, the tool, whatever it might be, it, it sort of falls on deaf ears. And that's where people then sort of bring in, oh, it's because we couldn't onboard people. It's difficult to get adoption for technology. It's, you know, people aren't as creative in this profession as another profession. Maybe, but only because you haven't done the prerequisite work, so to speak, in order to get to that point. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are a lot of costs (laughs) about uh, uh, lawyers or, or the legal business being difficult from an innovation or change point of view, technology adoption point of view. And I mentioned at the beginning, I, I've spent almost uh, my entire career in legal, so I might not have a real uh, objective view on this. But, but you know, I think lawyers are very much uh, rational, logical, analytical people. So you could say left brain driven people. Yeah. If they don't understand something, uh, they will not do it. You know, so I don't think it, you, can, you can influence them with beanbags. You have to, to make a connection to strategy, to value, to economic growth. That said, understanding something doesn't mean uh, change is going to happen. Otherwise, all of us would be healthy and fit and we would do all the, <laughs> all the exercises. We, we commit ourselves to on 1st of January. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, the next time someone says lawyers don't change, I, I, I decided to ask back, so how about your New Year's resolution? Change is difficult. Um, and also lawyers need a little bit of, in addition to understanding it, left brain thinking, a little bit of inspiration, right brain approaches, behavior scientific approaches, nudges and, and um, similar techniques because change uh, is something that happens on, on that basis. Another point which is important in connection with change and, and legal is uh, that at many law firms there are big plans fancy powerpoints but then when you look at the incentives the remuneration system it shows something completely different yeah and and uh, there is a saying you get what you pay for so what one of the certainly the an important thing for most businesses is if you want to 
create a change into it towards a certain trajectory. So if you want people to be more innovative, whatever that might mean for your business, <laughs> then there needs to be some sort of an incentive tied to that. And again, it doesn't have to be a monetary incentive, though generally that helps quite a bit. But there needs to be some expectation that if you do X, there is this reward for you within the business. And I think certainly within the law firm context, I think that's one of the, the difficult things because we want people to adopt technology. We want people to take on new process of working, but often there is no reward at the end of doing that. In fact, it's the alternative. You are suggesting, yeah. oh, you should change this because even though the current thing may be working well and really well for some people, and no, no rational person will willingly want to change that. They are outliers who are just super driven. Yeah, so, or, or even worse, this much cited uh, uh, failure-oriented uh, culture or, or risk-avoiding culture that, that many law firms apparently have in order for people to speak up because they don't have to come up with, with radical innovations. They, it's enough if they come up with small steps, incremental innovations that you need psychological safety. So remuneration is one thing, uh, the other thing is culture and particularly psychological safety that people are allowed and encouraged to, yeah. to speak up. How do you think, how would one enable that? And I think that sort of falls well within uh, the remit of a leader, right? So creating that, yeah. certainly that culture. But I mean, I don't know if you have instances where you've helped your team sort of feel psychologically safe in order to sort of enable that type of culture. I'm just curious about that. You know, as, as you said, it all depends on, on leadership. So first of all, how what you yourself project, how you behave, uh, how do you encourage with, with small things, people speaking up at, uh, at meetings. And, and it can be really uh, structured things. One nudge that I've uh, seen is that, you know, at, P at the meetings, there is a person who leads the meeting and and is responsible for the agenda and then there is a per another, another person who makes sure that people speak up and observes and also gives feedback uh, at the end of the meeting to the meeting leader in in general i think it's 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 very much a leadership issue yeah. uh, to create an environment where where people feel safe and respected and and are encouraged to to improve things yeah, and I think actually, as you were saying that one of the things I've seen done that really helps is because you certainly get individuals who are quite vocal, let's just say, yeah, that's a nicer word for it. And those are a bit more timid. Uh, and actually for meetings, certainly if there are meetings where you're discussing ideas and, and such, rotating who actually leads those meetings, because that means that those timid individuals will certainly have an opportunity at some point to lead the meeting. And that means whatever they've not been able to get out, they can at least put it on the agenda, right? It's just yeah. making sure that it's an inclusive environment. So everyone is able to at least voice their ideas and uh, giving the opportunity to do that in different ways. Not everyone likes to speak up, but they may have tons of ideas that they'll happily email you or send you via Teams or whatever your method of communication might be. One of my most successful projects at, at my previous firm was the result of, of our team looking at solutions and looking for a platform 
project management collaboration platform. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, uh, in one of the teams, a young lawyer speaking up uh, and, and, and asking his partner, why do we uh, send these huge documents per email to the client? And then it, we always have to create zip files and these things. Uh, and the partner simply directed this, this colleague to us. Mm. And uh, so didn't say like, this is how we do things, or this is not such a big, big issue, but okay, good idea. Just summarize it and go to the innovation team. And it was a perfect timing because we were looking for a, 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 a test team to uh, yeah. test one of the existing solutions on the market. And so that it, it started. So those, those associates or senior associates speaking up is, is very important part of the structure. On the other hand, to be honest, I was very surprised a couple of years ago. I was not, not yet into uh, the innovation practice at that time. And when I read articles in The Lawyer about partners being incentivized, I was like, why? Why partners and why not? <laughs> you know, and you know, partners are the ones in most law firms who speak the most uh, time or the most uh, intensively to clients. Yeah. And every single innovation idea or change idea should have the client as kind of a north yeah. star in view. Otherwise, it, it is it is not valuable. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, just that client-centric way of working is extremely important. Do you, do you think, obviously, we're recording this in July, July 1st, actually. <laughs> we're still in many parts of the world under the midst of the pandemic, COVID-19. And of course, it has an impact on all businesses, including law firms. Do you think as we move through this, this will have an impact on both the uptake thinking and actually the view of, you know, tackling innovation type projects. And again, I'm using <laughs> that in a very non-specific way for a reason, yeah. because that means very different things to every firm. Yeah. So, so yes and no. Various points. First of all, of course, we will see shifts or readjustments in innovation budgets. But I would rather say it, it would be in, in many firms, hopefully temporary and, and maybe a shift in focus. Mm -hmm. On the midterm, I think those firms who have started already with innovation, who see and, and to some extent understand the trends, who have visionary leadership and, and, uh, and a partnership who, who supports change and innovation and transformation, those, for those firms, this is an accelerator. Yeah. And I think uh, sometimes I say what we are seeing is it can be uh, described hopefully as the great unmasking. You know, masks are the big uh, one single symbol of, of these times. So we will see a, a big uh, unmasking. We will see who are the law firms who have visionary leaders and have a, a really a, a strategy to change. And who are the law firms who might have played innovation theater but actually, um, this, this is the time when they cut all efforts and, and reduce the investments. As a third point is, I think in the first days, there was a popular post on, uh, trending on LinkedIn, who was uh, responsible or who, <laughs> who drove your uh, yeah. digital transformation. Certainly, these times have had a big effect on uh, certain parts of technology adoption. 
also acceptance of flexible working um but using zoom uh instead of of calling people or going to the meeting room is not digital transformation so it's a good start and i'm confident that at many firms uh, it will not stop there but but simply using zoom doesn't mean that 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 you are now innovative. Yeah, and I, I think you know I I echo everything you say you said, and it's important because for frankly for a lot of firms they were a little bit behind. So this just creates the impetus for them continuing to do something. I think the test for many leaders, and I certainly look at the leadership in this, will be can they. You know, I'm sure at the start of this, uh, they would have laid out a vision for how they're going to react and adopt and change. Uh, now it's up to them to continue to reinforce the vision and then to follow through and say, great, uh, things may be improving, but we saw an impact by doing X. Let's continue. Let's make it bigger. We now don't have our budgets frozen anymore. Let's do think about things that will have similar or greater impact and follow through in that way so but that will be the test <laughs> yes yes you know i i think these these um last few months and and the upcoming few are, are very important milestone but generally we are we, we have just started a decade where so many changes will happen some people yeah. say that in the next 10 years the amount of change will be equal to the previous 100 years and that's why I say that, okay, on, on the short term, you might have to stay safe as a business. Yeah. On the midterm, you have to stay hungry. And on the long, long term, you have to stay foolish. So, yeah, I have this idea of an innovation pipeline. And that needs to be all the way from you know, short-term things that you kind of need to do today, all the way through those moonshot ideas that you want to get to at some point. And, you know hopefully over time as the cost of doing x decreases um, or the need for doing something increases then those moonshot move into you know, your midterm or your short-term pipeline and you should you should actually execute on them yeah definitely and, and for those moonshots or long-term uh, ideas you need an innovation strategy yeah. research shows that in corporate innovation if you if you have a reactive approach and you just wait uh, for people you encourage them and incentivize them but you wait that they come up with ideas yeah. most of the ideas will be incremental changes mostly process changes i would say mm. and that's nice variable but you know more important these days especially to have a strategic view and formulate to people in which direction we would like to uh, get new ideas or which are the problems that, that are priority for our firm. Where do we want to be in 10 years? And it, it might be difficult because this is something which is uncertain and, and lawyers don't like uncertainty. But without, without having a vision and, 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 and a few thoughts about the future, it's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the, the important things is there thinking about like, what would you want a certain process? What would you want your practice? What, or what inside, what would you like it to look like? What would it look like if it was 10x better, right? So actually thinking yes. openly about not just we want to get to this, because as you said, if 
in 10 years time, we've changed as much as in the last 100 years, there's no way that you can potentially see what will be going on in 10 years time. The only thing you can think about is how do we make this 10 times, 100 times better today and start working towards on those things. I'm conscious of time. So there's two things I want to talk about. One was, and I think we've already touched on it a little bit anyway, is how, how do you think about, you know, enabling adoption to be easier, right? Um, because there's certainly a perception that it is difficult and legal, and maybe um, you can answer that, uh, but how do you make it easier uh, to keep it a bit more practical? And then if we have five minutes, I'm really curious uh, about in your previous role, you were looking after innovation and BD business development, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is at least odd from my perspective. I haven't seen that too 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 frequently. So, how that what, what that relationship was like, right, within the, those two functions. So, first, the first question: technology adoption. What what I've seen uh, worked well is taking small steps and uh, even doing a little bit of gamification. Mm-hmm. So. If, if you send out a big email that from, so this is what we introduce and you should do this, nothing will happen. If you create an environment where people feel something is happening and you make the change joyful even or a little bit easier to adopt, you, you, you might be successful. So what we have done in my previous firm is when we introduced a collaboration platform, we called it space or the space and for example, we didn't call the lawyers who were responsible for certain sites site administrator because nobody, lawyers definitely, <laughs> nobody wants to be a site administrator. We call them captains. We played a lot with the space topic. We invited scientists who, who had a presentation about the universe. So there was a little bit of, of story around it, emotions. Change happens with emotions and and if you are really interested in and not just with your left brain, no, yeah, this is what I should do. So so making it easier and also small steps. I like to say that it's a little bit like if I want, I have a, a, a daughter and a son and my daughter, uh, she's six years old. She doesn't like to eat vegetables. If If I announce that... <laughs> vegetables is what you should eat, nothing will happen. If I load a lot of vegetables in front of her, she will be overwhelmed. If I do piece by piece and slowly and maybe with with some place, uh, I I might get more more success in in vegetable adoption. I love it. Comparing vegetable adoption, as you call this, to to adoption of technology. Uh, Awesome. And and then, yeah, on the second point, what's the the relationship between innovation and business development? What was the relationship for you in the past? You know, I, I think it's it's a very, very close relationship, in fact. I, I've mentioned that innovation strategy should be aligned with, with business strategy, and definitely it should be aligned with the business development strategy of, of certain practice areas. From, from certain point of view, law firms like portfolio companies. So you have different areas, different service areas. They have different competitors, different clients maybe, different trends, uh, price structure and so on. And you have to align the innovation uh, efforts, the new ideas, whether it's tech, whether it's uh, process improvement or project management to that particular business area. 
So I, I see a, a very close connection to what's, what's the status of, of the business development concerning a certain market. Yeah. And what do we do? What are our ideas? Our ideas to create more value for that particular market. Yeah, that's really helpful, actually. And that, that's a big focus for me personally to learn more around how that impacts as you look at the entire legal supply chain. What is the impact of BD marketing and other things, you know, in on other functions and to the clients? Fantastic. Okay. So, uh, and just wrapping up, thank you so much for coming on. It was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And um, if people want to find you, I'll be sure to um, put a link to your LinkedIn profile. Is that the best way to connect for others that may want to get? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I use LinkedIn and and, uh, I'm happy to to connect and catch up with new and old friends. Wonderful. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijat Sarasworth. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show and Pretty Sarasworth is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.